You can head to uh, your respective classrooms. All right. I like it. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I like that we stand for scripture. I think it kind of puts it apart, sets it apart as a time of respect uh, for the scripture. So we're going to try to do that more often, uh, especially through this season of Advent and having our students read it is just a fun little extra in there. Um, here comes heaven. Here comes heaven. I do have to warn you guys, my eyes are a little extra leaky this morning. I don't know why. It's contacts or something. They're uh, making my eyes dry, so uh, I got to get them a little, a little more, moisten them up a little bit. Um, here comes heaven, right? The song of heaven and during that song, thinking about the significance of uh, heaven coming to earth. And uh, we're coming out of Thanksgiving. I hope all of you had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving with people that you love, um, remembering things that you've been thankful for throughout the year. I know uh, we had a great Thanksgiving, seeing family, saw my uncle from, from Minden that I haven't seen in years. Um, and, we just, and, and Haley's family, we got to sit around a table and uh, tell each other what we were so thankful for. Um, I know this season I've been extremely thankful, uh, and one of, on the top of my list is that I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful to be able to be a part of this church, and that you guys have allowed me to step into this position of uh, being a pastor to you guys, uh, because I love you all. And I think one of the things, maybe selfishly, that I'm most grateful for is that as, as in this position, um, it requires me to be uh, more adamant about my times alone with Jesus. And um, they've been sweet. They've been real sweet. Uh, the moments that I get to spend with Jesus uh, intensify um, what I've always believed about him, that he is uh, the Lord and Savior, that he is the Messiah. And... Uh, I get to testify how much I love him um, and tell everybody how much I love him. And um, I know that my, myself, in my flesh, I'm a terrible leader. In my flesh, I'm weak and I'm frail and I'm prone to sin and I'm prone to wonder, like the song says. Um, but in, in Christ, I find strength. And I pray that as I get to lead you guys as your pastor um, here that I would grow in, in my strength in Christ, not in my human strength, because I have nothing to offer, but in what Christ can use me to lead you guys into um, as you guys allow me to preach and, and teach the word of God up here. Um, so that's, that is what I'm extremely thankful for. And I do see uh, and expect um, some cool things to happen in the new year um, and even starting this week as we enter into a time of Advent. So it is, it is the Christmas season. Um, we are entering into a time of Advent. And I don't know if you guys have ever done a deep dive or a study on where Advent came from, uh, but we, we wanted to spend the next four weeks looking at Advent. And I'm going to see, there we go, I got it working this time, that's good. We're going to look at some of the names of Jesus. The first one that we're going to start with today is I Am. I Am, and the significance of the verse that Brooklyn just read for us, where it says, very, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, uh, before Abraham was born, I am. And what that means. The history of Advent started, uh, that one of the earliest datings in which we understand Advent to have come about um, 
was back in 380 AD. Okay? Uh, it was, now Christmas is a little bit different than, than Passover in that uh, the, nobody really believes that Jesus was born December 25th. And there are not very many people who believe that he was born December 25th. He was actually probably born closer in the springtime. But the tradition started back in that time uh, in response to some of the teachings that had been presented by, um, they're called agnostics. And they had this dualistic thought uh, about light and dark, good and evil. And I don't know if you guys have felt it, but I know since this last time change, it comes like five or six o'clock in the afternoon and I'm going, man, it's so late. Is it time for bed yet? Like, especially if you have kids, you're like six, seven o'clock, hey, it's, it's time for bed, right? Because it's dark outside and you're tired and you worked a full day um, it, and you don't have that light that you have in the summer where you're like, hey, let's go swimming, let's go have you know, a dinner party or whatever. At seven o'clock at night, you're leaving your house to go spend time with someone. During the winter, you're like, oh, it's seven o'clock at night, let's wind down and get ready for bed, right? Maybe have some dessert and go to sleep. I always have ice cream before I go to bed. Um, so Christmas came to be associated with the birth of Christ as a re result of it following, following, uh, following falling during the summer solstice, or the December solstice, right? The winter solstice, where we have the shortest day of the year. It's usually around December 22 or December 23. And so this idea came that if we're going to fight dualistic thought between dark and light, let's celebrate the light of the world, which is one of the terms Jesus uses to describe himself. He is the light of the world to combat the thought of darkness being present and overcoming the world. Right? So Christmas became a celebration of Jesus coming into the world because he is light coming into the world. Now, in 380 AD, okay, they had this council uh, called the Council of Saragossa. Okay? It's probably the earliest mention of Advent in our history. Um, and by the 4th and 5th centuries, they compounded the, the thought that we should have a celebration of Jesus' birth coming into the world, fighting the dualistic thought, okay, um, that we should, and, and one of the, some of the terms that came about was that they would urge church attendance for 12 days, that during December 17th to December 29th, we should encourage everybody to come to church to celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's kind of where we get the, the theme of the 12 days of Christmas as well, okay? Now, this didn't, um, this didn't like, establish Advent as a practice, uh, but it did give us the idea of, hey, let's, let's spend an expen extended period of time celebrating the birth of Jesus. A couple hundred years later, there's some that uh, credit St. Martin as the one who said, okay, let's have a, a, an extended period of fasting as well to lead up to Christmas. And he started fasting three days a week uh, for four weeks prior to the come of December 25th. They called it the Lent of St. Martin um, and that was sort of the, the beginning of the tradition of preparing our hearts through prayer and fasting for the coming of Christ. Okay. Now, the term Advent, uh, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, okay, which is also a translation from the Greek word parousia. Okay? Parousia. Uh, and this, this actually is one of my favorite Greek words. It means the coming of or the arrival of. And there's this double meaning of Advent, uh, which I really want to dive into today. I'm sorry if this is the boring part. If you guys are math guys like me, the history part, I'm like, huh, okay, all right. This is the history of it all, right? 
We're not going to do a whole lot of numbers yet. We'll get that later. So the history is um, the coming of Christ, the parousia, okay? It can mean two things, either the coming of the Christ or the second coming of the Christ. The first coming of the Christ is what we celebrate in the manger when Jesus comes uh, as a baby uh, to earth, right? The second is the second coming of Christ, when Christ will come back again and claim victory over uh, the enemy and the prince of this world, which is the enemy, Satan, right? Now, at Advent, this period of time, and this was new to me this year that I, I didn't recognize before, is that Advent is a season that's not necessarily just leading up to the birth of Christ, but it's a season of remembering all things that have happened in between the birth of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Right? Traditionally, historically, what this Advent season did was for the first two weeks of Advent, they would celebrate um, the second coming of Christ. And, and our minds would be fixed on what Jesus is going to do, the future coming of Christ. And then the second two weeks would be fixed on the coming of Christ in the birth of Jesus in the manger. Um, I've been reading through this book called The Jesus Gap. Right? And The Jesus Gap, it's, it's uh, research on what teens actually think about Jesus. And they ask this question, who is Jesus? I'm going to pause a second and let you guys think about this before I tell you the results. Okay? When I ask you guys, who is Jesus? What is your response? You can think of it. You don't have to say it out loud. But if I, if I were to ask you to describe who Jesus is, what Jesus looks like, how did Jesus act, how would you describe him? What characteristic traits would you give him? Right? How did he compose himself around others? What was significant about his nature? Okay. Who is Jesus? And in this book that I'm reading, um, the article or the, the research discovered so many things that confirmed things that I knew about our, our teenagers, but it also extended some of my thoughts on, I wonder if these aren't just specific to teenagers, but if they're specific to our church. And the research was extensive in that it, it covered all different denominations. It covered a range of students from 12 to 19 years old. Um, it asked questions about who is Jesus, what did he look like, um, and then it gave them a bunch of different word pairings that said, well, is Jesus calm or is Jesus angry? And you would have to choose one. Is, is Jesus uh, righteous? Or is Jesus um, zealous? Is Jesus cool? Or is Jesus uh, powerful? Right? Like, which word pairing would you pick, one over the other, to describe who Jesus is? And since our children or our teens are receiving their Christological understanding, Christological meaning the study of Christ, since they're gaining their understanding of Jesus from us, it made me wonder, how deep is our understanding of who Jesus is as adults? And some of us, we've been in church for forever, 
right? I mean, since we were little kids, and a lot of our testimonies will say, when I was five years old, you know, I prayed the prayer in the church pew behind, you know, the building, and I accepted Jesus into my life, right? Many of us will have that prayer. Some of us, it was a little bit later. I know for me, I was 16 when I said, all right, I actually believe that five-year-old prayer, and I want to make this relationship my own. Some of us, it was even later you know, in life when we were adults and we said, I've been living this certain way my entire life, but now I understand who Jesus is and I want to turn my life around. Right? So what this uh, research really showed was that people tended, or teenagers more specifically, uh, to put Jesus into six different archetypes. Right? They archetyped Jesus into, oh, sorry, seven, it's actually six, the first one is superhero Jesus, okay? Did you know there's actually a card game? Uh, I forget the name of the company, but they actually made a card game for Bible characters, right, that put characters on these cards, kind of like if you guys have ever played Magic, I know Owen, they've played it before, and some, some of you guys have seen the card games, or Pokemon, right, where different characters have different powers and different strengths, and you play the cards, and, and they are, uh, certain cards are trump cards, where they're like, yeah, you play this card and game over, you win, right? Like, I wonder, if you played the Jesus card, is it game over? <laughs> I would imagine so. I mean, how much more powerful can you get? But he's a 12 out of 12, as you guys can see, right? Some of his other titles are king, priest, prophet, judge. He cannot be removed from the game or converted, um, you know, and so on, so on. You can read the description here. From 2012 to 2014, 19 different superhero movies were released. Like, you know, Spider-Man and, and Iron Man and, and uh, what are all those Marvel movies, right? You see how much of a movie buff I am. I'm not great. But what this research really discovered was that when people started, when they were asked, who is Jesus? The description that teens would give was one of the nature of a superhero. He's amazing, right? Like the amazing Spider-Man, right? He's, he's, uh, he can walk through walls. He's got superhero powers, right? He can click and make it happen. Like, well, that's Thanos. It's a little different, right? But he has that type of superhero power. He can go from one place to the next. He can, what's that called? Teleport. Thank you. Right? He can teleport. And, and we do see some of those in Scripture. But this is the way that teens will describe them. Hopefully, what this does is not just challenge the way that you think about Jesus, but also challenge the way that you address certain people when you're talking about Jesus. And, and keep this in mind. A lot of our teens in this next generation coming up think that this is Jesus. He's a superhero. He is the amazing Jesus of Christ. Right? And you can almost wrap it. The amazing Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nah, I won't do that. Not that good. Not that good. Okay. Like all superheroes, superhero Jesus is otherworldly. He's supernatural. And he's been sent to our world to save us from destruction. And that was his entire purpose. Right? He came down to fight the battle that we couldn't win. Right? That is the idea that, that people, that teens tend to have. About. This is the number one, by the way. The number one category is superhero Jesus supernatural, superhuman strength, visibility, all that stuff. Ultimately, the, the key point about superhero Jesus is he emerges victorious, right? Not all bad. It's an archetype, right? That's one way that we look at him. Second one is Mr. Rogers Jesus, 
right? Mr. Rogers, Jesus. This card game, again, it has a bunch of different ones. This is the body of Christ, right? This is the idea or the concept, and this is the second largest one, by the way, that Mr. Rogers is, or, or that this Mr. Rogers, Jesus, is the nice guy, right? He's the nice guy. Uh, he's the one that he introduced as a child, and he was a good student, and, and he was a good teacher, and the teacher who, who looked after him said he always had good people behavior, and he desires from his followers the same thing, but his, it's all about the behavior, right? It includes acceptance, devotion, generosity, honesty, love, truthfulness, selflessness, and respect. He's someone who's incredibly nice and does good all the time. However, the problem with this, this Jesus is that he's one-dimensional, he never struggles with anger, and he never has complex emotions, Right? Like Mr. Jesus, or Mr. Rogers, Jesus is always, hey, hey, won't you be my neighbor and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's kind of the, the mentality that some of these students have. And we teach that a lot of times. A lot of times we err on teaching behavior over teaching relationship with Jesus. It's not about necessarily the behavior, even though there is that component to it. But the more we learn about Jesus... He desires more about knowing you than he knows about knowing what you did, okay? He wants to know the depths of your heart and why you do the things you do, not necessarily what you are doing. In fact, in another one, that word pairing part of the survey, uh, they ask students to choose from the words anger and calm. The percentage was staggering. 89% of students said that Jesus was calm. And only 5% of students identified Jesus as angry. Again, not necessarily bad uh, discovery of what students think about Jesus, but we also do see images in the New Testament where Jesus is flipping over tables saying, what the heck are you doing? And he deals with complex emotions as you see him bitterly weep. You see him cry, right? So you see him dealing with all of the emotions of our humanity. He was a human. Sorry, I'll get into that in a minute, right? But this Mr. Rogers, Jesus, he doesn't. He's just the, hey, won't you be my neighbor kind of guy, okay? The next one, God-like Jesus, son of God. He comes in riding on his victorious horse, right? Riding down from the heavens with a red sash around his chest, spear in his hand, ready to take on the world. He's like God. But many students didn't identify him as God, just God-like. He is the son of God, but he's not necessarily God, is the image that a lot of uh, this research discovered. A lot of students believed in the humanity of Jesus without believing in the divinity of Jesus. They can relate to him in person, but they can't relate to him as a God. He's just like God. Right? It's, we use God language all the time, and I do have to admit that a lot of times in our sermons and the way that we're teaching and, and preaching our classes, we emphasize God without emphasizing Jesus as God, fully God, fully man and fully God. He is God-like in this interpretation, but not necessarily God. The next one, spiritual guru Jesus, okay? Even other religions 
tend to recognize Jesus as a spiritual guru, that he taught um, spiritual things, that he taught us how to, to walk the way of life, how to find peace on the inner self, peace that surpasses all understanding, right? He's someone who has a spiritual, special relationship with God. He can hear God. And even some of our other mainstream Christian religions, like the Catholics, right, think that he was like the Pope, right? He can hear specifically from God, but he is a human, and whatever he speaks is God-ordained and powerful, and he's speaking for God, but he is just a spiritual guru, Okay? Last one is Joe Jesus. I mean, as much as I like this one, it's so wrong. <laughs> it's so wrong. As much as I want a Buddy Jesus doll, they actually sell these things if you want one, $9.99 right, on eBay. I'm just kidding. I didn't actually look it up. I don't want one. Uh, but a lot of people think that Jesus just, you know, he's another old Joe. Just plain old Joe Jesus. He walked the earth. He had a mom and a dad, right? Mary and Joseph were his mom and his dad. And he's an everyman, right? He's, he's your neighbor next door, okay? He's, he's Joe. He's, uh, he's got fully human-like characteristics. He's born of a human. He's physical, just like a human. He's realistic. He's relatable. And man, he's my buddy, right? This is everyday Joe Jesus, okay? Now, This is what I want to emphasize this morning. The last one is Orthodox Jesus. Okay. I believe that as a church who worships Jesus Christ as the Messiah in the time of Advent, we have to teach all of these things about the character of Jesus. None of these archetypes are... Sorry, let me rephrase that. All of these archetypes have specific characteristics that talk about Jesus, right? God is a superhero. Jesus is, sorry, let me phrase that. Jesus is a superhero, in a sense. Jesus is your friend, in a sense. Jesus is a spiritual guru, in a sense, right? Jesus has all of these characteristics. I put this image up here. It's actually an AI-created image, right? Some of you guys may have seen this. But this is an image of what, if artificial intelligence putting into the computer, hey, what is the average-looking man of the years 0 to 35 AD, right? What does he look like? And they put in the characteristics of him that are described in the Bible, and this is what the computer came up with. Now, in this, in this book, I was reading it, and one thing really shocked me. There was a, a quote that he gave one of the students, and the student said, well, you know what? When I think about Jesus, I know in my head that he's, he's a Middle Eastern male, you know, in that first century period, who probably had darker hair and darker eyes, but when I want to think about Jesus, I think of a, a 35-year-old white guy that's been pictured on all of my images that I've seen across my computer and on walls and churches. The point was, the problem with these archetypes is that we tend to put Jesus into our own image. We tend to make Jesus who we want him to be, 
And that's not the case. We need to teach and preach about who Jesus is so that we can know him. Not just about him, not just the pictures that we've seen, but that we can know him. Orthodox Jesus is not only God-like, but God himself. According to Jesus in John uh, chapter 10, verse 30, he says, the Father and I are one. At the same time, Orthodox Jesus is fully human. He was born of a woman, Galatians 4.4. Luke 8.23 tells us he slept. He, He experienced tiredness like we experience tiredness. He experienced emotions like we experience emotions. During his time on earth, he experienced a full range of those emotions. He flipped over temple tables in in Matthew chapter 21, verse 12, and in John John chapter 11, verse 35, it says Jesus wept. During the three years of his public ministry, Jesus performed miracles, and like God himself, he had the authority to forgive sins, as said in Matthew chapter 9, 6, and he also taught that as one who had authority, not just like God, but as God. And what's more, he called us as his followers to participate in God's work in his kingdom here and now. Jesus is God. And the significance of Advent is we're celebrating this divine being establishing himself in human form as the Messiah, completely human and completely God. Eventually, he died a physical death, just like we will. But after which, he rose from the dead. Fully human, experiencing death, fully God, resurrecting from the grave. Fully human, experiencing birth, fully human, experiencing death, fully God, experiencing the power over all of those things. And through the death and the resurrection, he conquered death and Satan, the enemy. And he is now the foundation on which all of Christianity is based. Through him and only him, we receive that gift of real life. The last archetype included in this one is the real Jesus. The real Jesus, which we can only know through relationship with him, through prayer and community and the church. We see him evident in each of our lives as we emulate Christ. Not that we're forming him into our own image, but we are emulating him and becoming an image of Christ in the way that we live. We become like Christ in the way that we live. I did a a reading through um, John chapter 6, 7, and 8. I just wanted to point out a couple things that we'll end on here today. This is what people were saying about Jesus, and this is after the question of, like, who do they say that I am? He's talking to Peter, and Jesus says, who do they say that I am? I want us to know who Jesus is, the real Jesus. And the people were saying in John chapter 7, verse 20, said, Jesus, you're demon-possessed. Jesus got called demon-possessed, and the crowd answered, who is trying to kill you? In verse 25, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? He was not popular in his time, not with those that didn't know who he was. In verse uh, 28 of chapter 7, Jesus responds and says, yeah, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. 
Jesus is confident in who he is. I want us to have that same confidence of knowing who he is. In chapter 8, verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. And then in verse 13, he responds to the Pharisees, or the Pharisees respond and says, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Yeah, you say you're the light of the world, but who else is corroborating your story? People are going to challenge your thoughts on Jesus. People challenged Jesus himself on who he was. Verse 14, in confidence, Jesus responds, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. In verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. And they asked again, who are you? And then in verse 28, he says, I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. I feel like Jesus is uh, trying to tell everybody over and over again, I am God. And I feel like the, the response is a lot like some of my students when I'm teaching math class, right? Like I'll say, what's 10 minus 4? Well, I don't know. I said, well, okay, well, if you have 10 and you take away 4, how many do you have left? Um, I think I know. Okay, let me try to rephrase it in a different, different way. Put up 10 fingers on your hand and put down 4 of them. How many fingers are up? Right? And you have to say it again and again and again until they get it. It's like, at the end, he's basically saying, six. The answer is six. Right? And we get to that in verse 28, or in verse 58, where he says, very truly, I tell you, I am not just saying in metaphor anymore. This is not some code that I'm trying to speak to you anymore. Before Abraham was born, I am. Before the beginning of the world, before anything ever else happened on this earth, I am. Ego me is the Greek term. He's saying, I am. It's the same phrase that God would have used in, in, in the Old Testament when he says, Yahweh. I am. I am who I am. Jesus is taking on the full divinity. He is the full divine God taking on humanity in flesh. And he's saying, I am God. And I'm creating a way for you and you and you and you and you and you to know God. And I'm going to relate in every way all the pains that you have experienced, all the emotions that you deal with. I deal with too. The hurts, all the hurts, all the pains, all the struggles, and eventually death that each and every one of us will face. I will experience but guess what? I am. Because of who Jesus says that he is, that he is God. That's why we turn our response into worship of God and ascribe to him all glory and worship Jesus as God. Jesus as the Lord, as the great I am as Yahweh, as King of kings, as Lord of lords, as Prince of peace. He is the reason for the season 
And he is deserving of all of our worship. He is the Emmanuel, the Alpha, and the Omega. All of the names that we can call him, he is, because he says, I am. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, Yahweh, the name we can't even utter. Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Prince of Peace. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your gift of Jesus. And in this season leading up to Christmas, our hearts reflect on that, our hearts worship that, that you have made a way for us to know you, God, through your son, Jesus. In song, we sing of this, God, that you are the God that gave us your son that saved us. In your name.